You're listening to the Authentic Leadership Podcast. Join Gabrielle Dolan as she interviews a range of prominent leaders about their experiences. Her guests share stories about challenges they have faced during their career, as well as important learning opportunities or moments of insight. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are encouraged to embrace authenticity and real communication. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Authentic Leadership Podcast Series. I am pretty excited today to be speaking to Mark Nielsen, who is the global CEO of Talent International, which is a tech recruitment and consulting business, but I'm sure we'll hear a lot more about that. Mark also, which is very exciting, was the CEO of the year in 2018 uh, by the CEO magazine. So I want to talk to Mark about how exciting that was for him. So welcome, Mark, to the podcast. Thank you, Gabrielle. How are you Mark, doing today in lockdown? Oh, we're in lockdown. So yeah, we, we try not <laughs> we try not to talk about lockdown. Mark, Mark's in Sydney and I'm in Melbourne. Yeah. So I was giving him, you know, some tips from the experts the lockdown experts, but yes, we're in lockdown. We're, we're going okay. So, Mark, I'm going to fire a couple of quick questions right. to you to get us started. Where did you grow up? And I think I, I think we in, can take I think we can take from the accent it wasn't Australia. So, where did uh, you grow up? It wasn't it wasn't Australia. I grew up in Johannesburg, uh, South Africa, and then I went to university in Cape Town. Mm. And what was your like? You know, what was your family? Yeah, you brothers, sisters. Yes, yeah, so I got I got two half sisters. They're still there. My parents are still there. We grew up in a say a middle class neighbourhood. Um, yeah, but, but it was very interesting times uh, in South Africa when I was growing up. But obviously, being a youngster, you actually filtered uh, a lot of it is filtered from you, uh, and you realise as you get older. Um, the, the wrongs that were taking place at that particular time. But as a, as a youngster, the whole system is actually geared towards making sure that you effectively, uh, un- not understand, but you, you, you comply with uh, what uh, the position was at the time. Mm. When did you leave? How old were you when you left? Uh, the f- I left the first time uh, when I was 29. I went to the UK and then I came back and then I, uh, uh, they left to come to Australia in 2002. So I've been here nearly 20 years now. Mm. And when when was the last time you were back? I guess you haven't been uh, back recently. It was three, three and a half years ago for the birth of our nephew. Oh, lovely. Um, so, so the only interaction we've really had with him is, is via Zoom and we bought him an iPad so he could speak to us more often, but he prefers to play games on the iPad and <laughs> rather than speak to us. So it's all good. How unusual. <laughs> hey, um, what was your first job? Um, first job was at school. Uh, I worked at Plant Power. I was at, at I worked at a nursery. Um, and it, yeah, it was a great job because it was outdoors. I, I learned all the all the names of the plants. Um, and it was a combination of selling, but also advising customers where to, to put their plants and which plants grow in shade and which plants grow in sun. And so it's a skill that I still kept to this time. So that was my first uh, informal job. My first professional job was uh, EY uh, in Johannesburg. Okay. How old were you when you were working in the plant place? Uh, well, the, min- the minimum age you could be uh, to work was 16. So I just turned 16. 
Uh, I remember riding there on my bicycle and saying to the owner of the place, you got a job for me? He said, okay. Yeah, gave me a little test about plants. I knew nothing, but I said, I'm keen to learn. So he said, okay, we'll learn all of this and come back in a week's time. Came back, aced the test and yeah, that was, was good. And then from there, I got mates of mine jobs as well, the same place. So there were three of us, uh, all good mates working there. So it was a lot of fun. Sounds um, like a, a competition who could make the, the, the most amount of tips by, be, by giving the best service to the customers. And yeah, no, it was good. Good learning. Excellent. And you, and you learn all plant names, which I think sets you up for old age, because in my head, the, when you start to get old when you can reel off plant names. I don't know why I think that. It's just I think it was because my mother and my grandmother used to talk about plants and I'd be going, wow, that must be what old people do. <laughs> Yeah, it, it is true. The bulk of the customers were probably people sort of over 60. Um, but I think that was the, those were always the ones that, that tipped the best. So if you, if you saw one of, one of those coming in with, with, a, with, with a Fendi or a, uh, a Yves Saint Laurent at that time handbag, those are the ones that you would target. So. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But it's actually, it's actually uh, some of the... the the articles that have come out recently there's actually been a shift towards younger people uh, in, going out and doing gardening during COVID because obviously we can't go out and, and socialize. So there's actually been a, a shift. And it is quite, quite rewarding um, when you see something grow and say, well, I actually planted that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. I'm into gardening myself and, and uh, trying to grow some veggies and herbs and stuff, but, and it is very rewarding. Um, so where do you live now and what, what do you do now? I live um, in Darlinghurst or Darlinghurst Potts Point uh, in the inner east, Sydney. It's, it's a two-kilometre walk to the office, so it's great. And a kilometre walk to F45 and five-minute walk to the coffee shop. So everything's very central. Uh, I'm the global CEO of, of Talent. Talent is a challenger brand in that we uh, are a multinational, uh, but we're a lot smaller than a lot of our, most of our competitors. And we focus on digital tech sector, recruitment and consultancy services, and a bit of a, a talent acquisition advisory as well. Mm. We've got eight offices in Australia and New Zealand, uh, then four in the UK, one in Germany, and one in the US. So my responsibility is the to run the global business. Yeah, and and so I said in the intro that you won um, CEO of the year in two thousand and eighteen. Yeah. What 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 did that mean to you? I mean, it was but in two thousand and sixteen. I thought, well, maybe one day I'll, I'll apply for this, and maybe I'll have a chance at winning it. So I applied in two thousand and seventeen. Um, I was a finalist, but didn't make it. Uh, I was actually surprised to be a, a finalist because the caliber of the people that were were there was just amazing. I mean, Mark, Mark Hubert from SBS won it that year. Christine Holgate had won it the year before. So uh, the 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 caliber of the, the competition was 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 incredible. And then 2018, we had a fantastic year at Talent, but we'd really transformed the business uh, from being. A traditional recruiter into a really a people-focused business uh, and we had reduced the staff turnover we had increased engagement significantly we had won um, the finalist in the Gallup awards we won the seek awards which is the uh, recruitment industry awards so 
the business had really started to turn and the profitability had um, started to, to ramp up significantly as well. And also brought in private equity uh, to exit one of the, the major shareholders. So I think everything just came together fantastically in that year. Um, and I applied and, um, yeah, I won it. So mm. surprised. Well, th- well that is... Um... That is in good good company with um, Michael Abid and Christine Holgate. I actually I actually interviewed Michael a couple of years ago, one of the okay. very first okay. guests on my podcast. And I, I know you were showing me your dogs before. Um, I went into it was when Michael was uh, CEO of SBS, and yeah. I went into the SBS offices and was greeted not by his assistant but by his dog. <laughs> His dog came bounding out of his office to greet me. No, he's, he's, a, he's a fantastic man. Um, he's he's yeah, a, and, a, and a great leader. He is. He's a, whoever, whatever company snaps him up next as their mm-hmm. CEO will be doing well. So I want to go back to your early career and um, just ask you what, who had the biggest influence on you growing up, either, you know, as a, as a young boy or you know in the early part of your career who who was the biggest influence on you yeah so i'd say as a as a young boy i mean there there, there, there are few people that come to mind but as a young boy probably my father so um he's a property developer uh construction guy um he's very entrepreneurial started his his own business uh one business didn't do so well it folded and as a young person uh, I think it was quite difficult in that um, money was a bit of an issue, and you obviously know the the financial stresses, uh, how how financial stress can impact relationships, etc. Um, but at the same time, uh, he was stoic, robust, pushed through it, and built another business which was highly successful. But at the same time, I think he taught me the value of of money and of, of hard work. But also, he's got a wonderful sense of empathy and compassion. Um, and that's for people who work with him, uh, for his employees, but also just generally. I remember when uh, we weren't that financially well off because one of the businesses had just folded and we were, he, every Saturday he would go to, to Pam Burgers, which was like a uh, slightly upmarket McDonald's, and he would buy us hamburgers and chips. And there were a whole lot of um, young kids sitting outside, uh, black kids, and you could see that for begging for money so he actually went and bought everybody all the young kids a hamburger and a and chips and a milkshake um and that's just shows the compassion of the individual and that's something i've i've taken with me throughout my life even as we go through COVID now is uh, we, we yes we complain a lot um but we actually so fortunate and we must just remember how fortunate we are compared to a lot of people um and that in some ways taught me not to trivialize things which aren't really relevant um they may be first world problems but just get over it and deal with it so i'd say that, that that's my one role model my other role model uh are the part some of the partners at Ernst and young uh i started off john wetton especially really taught me um the the benefits of having a strong eq yes uh, iq is important and the ability to solve technical things is important but it's really how you build those customer relationships and how you work and develop your team, how you make sure your team's engaged and they actually want to follow you. Um, so I'll say those are probably the two people who had uh, a significant mark and impact on um, who I am today. Mm, mm, yeah, definitely. I could, I can see that, how that would have a strong impact on you. Um, 
what's been what's been one of the biggest challenges you've faced in your career? I would say probably in the late nineties, finished uni, uh, started at EY. After EY, I went to went, worked in corporate finance, investment banking. I'd say I've probably been a, a gay man uh, in that environment and accepting, firstly accepting who I was, um, and then secondly, once I accepted who I was, really um, coming out. Uh, it, the reason why it was difficult is because at that time, one would live in constant fear that somebody would find out. Um, and, and what that did was that effectively reduced, I call it career courage. So as, as, as a business person, uh, if you're building a business, an entrepreneur, you've, you've got to have the courage. At the same time, if you really want to do well at your, in your career, you've got to take risks. You've got to be out there. You've got to push yourself. Um, and you've got to have the courage to do it because it's very easy to sit back and just do a, a processing job. But if you're really ambitious and you really want to go far, you've got to be able to, to take those risks. And if you haven't got the belief and confidence in yourself, and there's always something nagging you in the back of your mind, it's very difficult to take those risks because if you do want to throw yourself forward, um, you can't, you, 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 as a, at that time as a gay guy, you sort of felt, well, um, they've got something on me. Um, so I think accepting that was probably uh, a, a tough thing. And also uh, I think part of it is you've, the, the path that everybody sets out to do may not be right for everyone. So, for example, I was working at a, a global investment bank in the UK, uh, M&A, pretty hardcore. Um, but maybe because I was a gay guy uh, and I, was, I didn't have the same construct as everybody else in my life, maybe I needed to find something which was a bit different but could still, get, could still fulfill me. Um, and also, uh, you, you sometimes, because you are different, you don't often fit in. So uh, we have uh, over, over coffee on Monday morning, what did you do to uh, say, what did you do for the weekend? Oh, um, and they would say, oh, I went fishing, I went hunting, I went down to my farm. I said, well, Bernie knew what I went, uh, where I was. I was a GAY camp attack on a, on a Saturday night party. And so I was a lot younger. Then. Um, so, so you said, no, no, I'll just had a few friends around and did X, Y, and Z. So you can't really bring your whole life experience to who you are. And in some ways, if you can't bring your whole life experience to who you are, uh, you can't have those real connections. So, so I think that was probably the hardest thing, um, realising that. You, Mike, did you, coming like having the courage to come out, did you confide in someone at work that, that it, like, encouraged you to do it or did you just say, no, I'm going to do it? Um, so I realised after three years in investment banking that I needed to get into something more entrepreneurial because generally what, what I found is that uh, entrepreneurs, they, they and I, that's why I've worked, if you look at my, my history, I've worked for entrepreneurs really my whole life, is because they're less concerned about things like if you're gay or straight or black or white or male or female, it's more, and actually perhaps like people that are a bit different because it gives that diversity, what we all see now, but because generally entrepreneurs are ahead of the curve. So 15, 20 years ago, when I was going through this, they, the entrepreneurs actually start understood and they said, wow, this is okay. This is someone who's different. They obviously think differently. Um, so 
after three years, I realized uh, I'd met my, my, my current husband um, and I realized, well, I need to make a change. So I started looking around and I found uh, a private equity business that then wanted someone to effectively uh, run the finances and do all the corporate finance stuff. And at the interview, I said, well, um, I'm, I'm gay. Does it phase you? Because if it does phase you, then um, uh, this isn't going to work. And I said, well, the, the CEO said, well, I'm Jewish and I'm married. Does that phase you? So, so straight away, um, I just put it out there up front. So I think the advice I give anyone who, I mean, it has changed a lot now, but is concerned, you've got to find the right, the right home for you. And you just got to be open about it because you rather know at the start of the process than it be, becomes an issue down the line. And that's, I mean, there still is discrimination out there. Yes, it is better. Um, but in a lot of, um, we're pretty lucky in Australia uh, we've got marriage equality, etc. But still, in a lot of countries, it's still, still frowned upon. So that 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 sort of is something that I learned over my career. And just in any interview that I have, any organisation I'm joining, I do raise it indirectly. Mm-hmm. I don't flaunt it, uh, but I raise it indirectly. How, how did you feel? There must have been a sense of relief or something when he said, "Well, I'm Jewish and married." Have you got a problem with that? Was there a sense of relief that he? It was clearly he didn't have a problem with it. Yeah, I, I, there was a sense of relief, but it was more a sense, okay, now I can bring my whole self to work and I can really uh, give, instead of giving 100%, I can give 150%. Um, and you, you build that loyalty because someone has gone out of their way to make you feel welcome. Okay, so what does it mean you're going to give them extra and you're going to go the extra mile? And and also what it does is it doesn't constrain one's thinking because, you know, people are they're open-minded so you can... That's why diversity of thought, diversity of people is so important because as soon as you constrain someone's thinking, then effectively you're putting them in a box, but you just open that up. And it, and and that, that we did so well because, one, the effort, but also just let's try this, let's try that because you, you, it was a safe space. Yeah. So, um, well, if that's been the biggest challenge, what what was the biggest highlight? Was, was, it, was it CEO of the year or was there a, something else? Um, I'd say it was probably was the year of the year, but winning the award was one thing. But I think what was really, really uh, fantastic for me was how the team embraced it. And they almost felt like it was their award. Um, so if you have a look at our website, it doesn't say Mark Nielsen CEO of the year. It actually says uh, CEO of the year. So it's one of talents awards because we all won it together. Um, and if you saw some of the videos of it, but when I won it, the guys picked me up and they were so excited and they felt they actually owned it. And they always talk about it when we go and we do client pictures. So that was probably uh, more ex- more exciting and probably more of a highlight for me than me just winning it. It was actually how everybody got behind. I mean, they got me a T-shirt, said the world's greatest boss, and they, they all wrote on it. And some of the messages were fantastic because often people uh, don't, voice what they think um but yeah I, I think that was probably one of the highlights the yeah highlight. that does sound like it would be a much a better highlight than actually winning the award that your your yeah, team yeah, were more yeah. excited about it yeah. or as excited yeah. about it as you were um in your role no doubt you've been challenged um your values or what you know everything but have you got a time where you're where you were challenged your values were challenged, but you stood true to them or you didn't? And, um, you know, how hard was it to stay true to your values? Yeah, uh, there was a time in one of my previous roles, I'm not going to name the organisation, but 
um, bit of what I thought was unethical behavior. Um, and you, you sort of, in those circumstances, you've got to make a call. You've got to make a call. Do you fight it? Is it worth it? Can you win? Do you make a statement? Can you win? Or is it just better just to, to find something else to do? Um, and I made the call just to move on because I knew that the, the powers that be would, wouldn't, wouldn't change um, and they wouldn't see, they wouldn't, they were, basically there was a cultural thing and often what you find is that, um, and we'll come up one of the other questions about this, um, there is definitely a shift um, and people's, in some ways people's age um, does have an impact on this, I think. Uh, but obviously some people do change, but some people don't. I think that was really the, 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 the thing is, okay, well, it's not going to change, not going to happen. Um, this isn't the place for me. Uh, let's call it a day. Mm. And, and generally what, I, what, I, what I've learned is um, you, you know something's right if, in, in your gut, whether it's right or wrong. And if, it's, if you don't agree with it and you can't change it, well, um, that isn't the, the, the current role that you've got isn't the only place to work. There are lots of other opportunities and, yeah. Time to move on. Yeah. Okay. Great. You clearly, it, it sounds like you love your job. What, what do you love about your job? Uh, I'd say probably for me is what, 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 when you create something and you create a team of people that are all on the bus, they're all going in the same direction. They all enjoy one another's company and they're prepared to go the extra mile, not because of the money, um, but because they feel that they're actually adding value uh, and whether it's to customers or contractors or candidates or through our foundation, RAS, um, and they, they live in the value. So we effectively have a, a no dickheads and no princesses policy, which, <laughs> and, and even if you've got a brilliant person who's a brilliant builder, but they just don't fit in because they don't share, they don't, um, they don't play as a team, they don't live, one of our values is we give a damn they don't really give a damn. It's all about them. Um, what you're seeing is they automatically just get weeded out uh, of the business because people uh, don't, just don't relate to them. Um, whereas someone who's perhaps um, not as a good performer, but they really live the values, what we've seen is over time, people embrace them and they take them on the journey. Because uh, not everyone can be a top performer. You're going to have some people who middle of the road performers but provided they give it their all and they try and they live the values, we would rather have people like that than people who only think about themselves. So I think when you see a culture working in action, and we saw this during COVID, how the whole business came together, it's very rewarding. And ultimately, that does lead to increased profitability. I mean, I didn't, when we started putting this in place four years ago, uh, the change around okay, well, let's get engagement up, let's get staff turnover down, um, let's, let's really, really drive the people side of the business. It was still quite new. Um, there wasn't that much data on it, but what we've seen now is that it definitely works um, and you can understand why. And that's why the whole move towards ESG is so important uh, because these things that in the past were really, okay, well, that's a nice to have. It's quite fluffy. Let's just focus on the bottom line. But focusing on these type of things, what you're doing is you're actually creating long-term value because your business becomes more resilient. Mm. I think that's the best articulated value I've heard. No dickheads, no princesses. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but it's it's so easy to understand because you know exactly how many people have you met on a call you just think what <laughs> what's your problem <laughs> yeah exactly no one's going to forget that value that's what i like about it so what's the hardest part of your job um i would say probably just keeping i mean people have uh ups and downs uh, people have challenges in life outside of work probably keeping that all together um, because you've got to have that positive demeanor. You've got to be, you've got to be on, you've got to create that excitement. Um, so that's, that, that is difficult, especially when you try and do it all over zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when I got into the business, it's, it's a lot easier because you can be real, you can be there. You can, so that's, I wouldn't say it's, 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 it's a positive, it's not, it's a, it's a difficult task, but it's a rewarding task. Okay, so it's not like it's a, oh, I hate doing this. I love doing it, but it is challenging. And then the other thing is to keep growing. And once you've, uh, so, so when you're number two, it's easy to try. You, you know, you've got to focus on number one. When you're number one, okay, well, how do you keep staying ahead of the pack all the time? So you've got to keep evolving the business, coming up with new ideas, new streams of revenue, all that sort of stuff. I mean, it's everybody experiences that. But I think when you when you've moved from being, to be five or six in a market to number one everybody wants to attack you they want your people so you've got to make sure that everything you do is really 150 percent better um, than your competitors are doing yeah yeah that would be a uh, yes like you said it's an ongoing challenge but it's yeah. uh, one year sort of in sounding like you're enjoying it no doubt there would have been a huge amount of challenges uh, during the last 18 months with COVID that everyone's faced, but uh, I, don't want, I don't really don't want to focus on them because yeah, they're yeah. depressing. What was, yeah, um, yeah. What's been the silver lining out of COVID, both personally and professionally for you? Professionally, it's how I think as, as people, we've, most people hopefully have grown out of it because my, what keeps people back is really fear. Um, and what COVID's done is in some ways it's taken away part of the fear because you can't, I mean, there was no right or wrong answer. So when we said to everyone in the business, okay, we take away the fear of solvency of the business, the business is strong. We're going to take away the fear of you losing your job by guaranteeing everybody their jobs. Um, we're going to take away the fear of underperformance because we're going to have a team, a team target rather than individual target. People actually did all sorts of amazing things. Um, just in, uh, especially like in marketing and driving new customers, they had to think out the box and there was no wrong answer. So effectively those boundaries in terms of what was traditionally what you did, didn't apply anymore. So just, and, and that's almost brought in that entrepreneurial, that startup, that mentality where it's okay to fail as long as you fail fast. Um, and I think that has changed people's minds because it's realized, you know what, I'm actually capable of doing this. I can, I can build this. I can have these conversations with customers. I'm not scared anymore. So I think that was probably one of the huge, huge positives that came out of it. The other positive was how people connected closer as a team, because effectively we're all in this together. Um, and just the sharing of ideas and opportunities. And we've got something, if you hear through a customer, they're looking to find someone in Sydney, pick up the, the give the guys a phone, to the, the, the Sydney team a call and say, okay, there's an opportunity. So, and a lot of that stuff has stayed with us. Then we have huddles where everything's fully transparent and people can ask whatever questions they want. We started doing that during COVID and we've continued that. So I would say those sort of things um, have really, really 
had a positive impact on people. Um, and then from, from personally, I would say uh, probably um, confidence as well and what I'm actually capable of because I really do love a challenge. Uh, I mean, if, you, if, you, if there's a problem um, that requires solving, uh, that, that, that's really what drives me. And I think what it's done is it's just said, yeah, I mean, even in the worst times, uh, if you, the strategy of coming into this with a highly engaged team and a strong culture and an authentic team uh, really, really uh, does pay dividends. So it's, uh, the, 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 often these things, the, the, the proof is always when difficult times hit as to whether what you're doing is right. Um, because in good times, I mean, anyone can make money. It's really and have and have a have a, a good return. But it's actually when things are hard, how you put it all together. And one of the things we did was uh, a part of being authentic and and fully transparent and vulnerable. We actually got we have an EAP called Live Street, which is exceptional. And we had the, the person who runs Live Street come and explain to everyone that if you look at a scale of mental or where people are on the mental health scale, everybody at some time um, is in sort of the middle or, or, or past 50% in terms of, yes, they've got mental health concerns. Um, and you want to be ideally around about sort of under the 13% mark. But what we found was that people... Um, I actually gave stories of my own mental health issues that I'd had when I got held up in South Africa and some of the other leaders did as well. And what from that, everybody has opened up. Uh, and because everybody opened up, it almost normalized it. So by normalizing it, we took away the fear and we could have those real conversations and someone would phone up people and cultures and not feeling good. Um, okay, well, let's have a chat tomorrow, get on the EAP. Um, what can we do? Uh, get some exercise, have a day off, so all that sort of stuff. Um, because we opened up those conversations, we took away a lot of the stigma and we actually seen that authenticity coming through now that people feel free to talk about anything. Mm. Um, so and once I, again, it creates that team bond. Yeah, and I think you've shown the highlight of the, the power of when the leader, the senior leader, the CEO steps into that vulnerability and shares it and it, it, it gives permission then for everyone else to talk about it. But um, you see a lot of leaders that aren't prepared to do that and then wonder why, you know, they aren't having those conversations. Yeah, yeah, correct, yeah. Hey, and and the, whole, the whole premise we have is that um, bring your whole self to work. Um, and we actually... Uh, people from different backgrounds I said wow I mean I don't even feel the slightest bit of prejudice in the organization I mean there's one guy in Sydney what mentioned his name but he just loves flowers so the first day here <laughs> second day he arrives with these flowers I mean people, <laughs> his boss said you can bring your whole self to work <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. So I want to I want to move now from you know we've been talking a lot of you know in the professional sense, but I want to get to know a little bit more about you. So um, when you're not at work, what what's uh, what is one of the things that you love doing when you're not doing work? Um, I enjoy playing chess. I actually used to play chess with Elon Musk. Wow, he, he went, there's he, a story. He went, he went to he went to High School, the same high school I went to. I was captain of the chess team um and he even had a, a photo i was captain of the chess team and he was he was in the team so i used to play with him uh, he was amazing um but yeah so i, I enjoy uh, 
playing chess, um, I enjoy painting, I do a bit of art every now and then. Um, we got a little, my husband's actually, he was a, he's, was a nuclear power lawyer and he's retired and become a ceramicist. So we've got a little st- a studio in our apartment. Um, that, he, that, that's a career change. <laughs> he started doing it actually because um, he had a, an accident and he broke his sternum. So part of working on the wheel to get the, to, to, to try and get that uh, all sorted out. So, um, yeah, and then he just enjoyed it. Uh, so, yeah. So, so I think, yes, so that's, and then also um, uh, I enjoy the exercise. So I do yeah, 45, uh, four times a week, um, a bit of running, swimming, all that sort of stuff. Uh, sailing a bit on Sydney Harbour, competent crew. So did a few courses in that. So yeah, just general stuff. And obviously probably the thing I miss the most is just catching up with your, your friends and having a, a long lunch on a Saturday or a Sunday uh, yeah. with a good bottle of, of wine and um, yeah, some good banter. Um, and then we do um, a bit of charity stuff as well uh, around around Sydney, support a few of the local causes. Yeah, that's oh, sort of that's sort of it's a, a, a mixed bag. It's it sounds. I was going to say it sounds like a very full life. Um, if you could change one thing about you, what would it be? And you can't say nothing. And if you say nothing, I'm going to ask your husband. <laughs> um. Oh, I wish I had hair. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, people obviously go there for their stitch. Yeah, I wish I didn't lose my hair when I was so young. I was 27 when I lost it, but I'm, I'm sort of over that now. Um, you just have to adapt accordingly. Uh, now, I would say probably quite impatient. Um, I think that's that can be a good trait, but it also can be a bad trait because in some ways, if you're very impatient, you want everything done now. And people sometimes can get... A bit annoyed with you and also i think being impatient impatient you're always thinking about the future in some ways i think that can lead to a bit of anxiety mm. um so i just need to chill calm down um and uh life's a journey i think that's something that uh, i really i do need to focus on because we obviously you see we, we've got targets to hit and we always want to we always want to do better than the targets and once we get there we want to do better again maybe maybe just take a bit of a breather and, and enjoy life. I was actually supposed to go to, we booked a, a small boat cruise um, around the Kimberley. He's supposed to leave tomorrow for two weeks. Uh, so looking forward to that, having had a break. We are, yeah, that's obviously, and that was supposed to be chill time with no phones or anything. So, but that's yeah. not going to happen. So, so it said we're doubling up with Zoom. <laughs> Zoom team, <laughs> Zoom team, Webex. One maybe of maybe you're going to have actually yeah. Webex. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you're going to have to find some time to do the chill team and pre- the chill down time and pretend. We uh, just before the one of the lockdowns, we got it. Me and my husband got a holiday in um, at Uluru and the Larapinta oh. trek, and it was like you just. I keep looking back and think, thank, thank goodness we got that in. It was such a, it was, you know, what, those couple of months when we sort of thought we were over it, but we, we were not. Hey, one of, one of the things I love is quotes. I'm not sure if you love quotes, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Do you have a favourite quote? And if so, why? It could be a quote from your, one of your quotes, if you want. It doesn't necessarily need to be from someone else. But, you know, do you have one? Yeah, I've got, I mean, I've got a few, mm-hmm. um, probably, um, let me have a think. 
Um, well, I think I mentioned the favorite quote, no dickheads or princesses. Oh, yeah, that's um, a good one. I think, yes. I think I'm going to so, steal so, that quote so, so, from you. So, so why, does it, why, does any, any, why does it resonate? Because it's just so real and easy to understand. Um, so I think, I think that's one. Um, and, yeah, I mean, to me, it's just be real, um, no BS. Yeah. I think one's, one's just to cut through all, all, the, all, all, all the nonsense. Um, and that's probably uh, what... The, the way I roll, so yeah. Yeah, I reckon you'd love the one from Oscar Wilde that says, "Be yourself." Everybody else is taken. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> awesome. That yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm also um, a fan of no BS. Therefore, a fan of no jargon. Um, what's have you got any corporate jargon phrases that if you could just ban, stop people from saying right now, you would like ones that really annoy you? Yeah, my worst is probably with due respect. Oh, it's just like that air of, of supremacy. You know, whatever um, they say afterwards yeah, 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 is going to yeah. be an insult. Yeah. So just, just say, no, I disagree with that. That's, that, that, that's never going to fly. Come on, man. I mean, why, why, why try to be so condescending? <laughs> yeah. With due respect, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just say you're wrong and just say, oh, have you thought about this or what about that? Or come on, man, get with the program. A lot easier. <laughs> just be, and, and that, and that, that, that's sort of, sort of the whole fluffiness and couchy things. And start not being authentic and not yeah. being, not being real. Yeah. I love it. All right. We'll try to, we'll try not to say that. I'll, I'll, I won't, <laughs> I promise I won't end this podcast with all due respect. <laughs> that was pretty crap. <laughs> Uh, okay i am going to end this podcast though on three quick fire questions okay yeah that don't need to be quick i always say this you're going to be quick but then i get into conversations with everyone what is the one meal you love cooking soft boiled eggs with veggie mart soldiers and the the, the, the soldiers must be must have must be turkish a turkish paddle that you cut into half and then um, there's a, really, a brilliant restaurant in Potts Point called Gypsy in Sydney, which makes it absolutely, let's nail it. But I've, I've got it down because I can't go there now because we're locked down. Um, so we've actually, I've got it nailed now. So the, egg, the eggs have to be in for five minutes on the nose. Um, and then as soon as five minutes is up, you don't check them. You just stick them in cold water and make sure you put the eggs on uh, outside, take them out the fridge for about half an hour before so they get to room temperature. And then... Put the put the, the the bread under the grill, toast it up, a lot of butter, a lot of Vegemite, chop, 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 and then off you go. And and what we do on a Saturday and Sunday morning, the Labradoodles get as well. So my husband gets, the Labradoodles get, everybody gets. They, they get theirs in milk though. Um, so so everybody's very happy. Oh, I, I didn't expect to get the full-on recipe out of this, but that's good. <laughs> hey, you know how we were talking about Michael Abid before and I did yeah. on a podcast? One of yeah. the things we spent about five minutes discussing at the end was how to cook the perfect poached egg because he, I, I said I can cook a perfect poached egg and he said I can too. And then we had like this debate because, you know, he doesn't swirl the water and yeah, yeah. Like, so anyway, yeah. there you go. If you ever, if you ever, you know, catch up with Michael, you can discuss eggs with him. <laughs> What's your favorite 80s song or artist? Um, well, I mean, I, I don't want to be a, a, a run-of-the-mill gay man and say ABBA. I suppose ABBA was probably the 70s, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, well, you know, a- a- ABBA's been one of those ones that stood the test of time over decades. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd probably say Alphaville. Alphaville? Yeah, Alphaville, Forever Young. Oh, I love that song. Yeah, for Forever Young, um, Jet Set Society, Red mm. Rose. Uh, that, was, that, uh, that was probably, yeah, I, I just love the 80s music. I, I mean, it's just, I, I'd say that at that time, UK music, that's when it was at its peak. I mean, look at Culture Club, Thompson Twins, all those bands. Give my age away now. Um, but yeah, but, but I think that was that was that was my era. Um Alpha Ball was good, aha, um, all those type of bands that were just the music was was happy. It was and that music still lives on today. It does. I mean, you can't you can't beat the 80s. So you know the last concert I went to before lockdown was yeah. aha. Aha. We're oh, out. brilliant. Yeah. Okay. On yeah. doing one of those on the green concerts. There was a, oh, awesome. a heart with a main act and you know, um Oh, what's his name? Morton Hackett. God, I can't believe I forgot. Or Collins. Never going to let you down. Never going to give you up. Never going to. Uh, Rick, Rick Astley. Oh, Rick Astley. That's it. So, yeah, yeah it was yeah. Pseudo, Pseudo Echo, Rick Astley, and Aha uh-huh oh, were the concerts. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. I, I remember we went to, I booked tickets to go see Spandau Ballet and Tears for Fears on one bill. So I said to Tim, oh, we're going to go see Spandau Ballet. And he prefers classical music. So, he didn't, but I couldn't believe why he was so excited. So we're on our way. Then he said, "Why are we going this way? Why are we going to to um, the, the, the Aussie Stadium or the the, the, the Darling um, Harbour? Why are we going there? Why aren't we going to the Opera House?" I said, "Well, it's Spandau Ballet." He thought it was the ballet. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> when he got there, he just sat there. What the hell is this? <laughs> Uh, oh, no, classic! But, They're very but, disappointing but, for him. And, and there isn't a brilliant Australian actor at one of our conferences for Hot Club Time Machine. Oh, and okay. And what they do is they actually started like the fifties, and they play a bit of a snippet from songs from each of the years, and they go all the way up to to today. And that just the way they put the music together is just fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. It's really, really hour and a half of pure brilliance. That'd be that sounds fabulous. Okay, final question. If you could give one piece of advice to your 20-year-old self, what would it be? Uh, take, take chances, uh, calculated risks in life. Um, don't care, don't worry about failure and what other people think. I think when we're younger, we're very impressionable. And in some ways, we live our lives as to what society thinks we should be. But that's, uh, I mean, uh, we, 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 if, you, if you learn to do that up front, if you don't care what other people think, it just opens up all these opportunities because you do what you want to do. Mm. Um, and I think, especially growing up as, as, as that time as a, as a gay guy, I was very concerned about what other people thought of me. So in some ways I chose some of, I made some of my decisions around that as opposed to making decisions, which is really, really good for me um, and really would have, enabled me uh to be perhaps a more fuller person at a younger age yeah i think it's pretty common that as we sort of get older we mm. uh we do sort of not not yeah you know, it's like don't care what people think but worry less and make decisions based on what we what's right for us and right mm. for our family and stuff as opposed to trying to fit in all the time because that's exhausting thanks mm. 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 exactly Mark, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. So many great insights um, and wisdoms. Really good to get to know you more. um, And I'm sure the listeners have found it of tremendous value. So thank you for being part of it. Thanks, Gabrielle. I really enjoyed it.
was awesome. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Authentic Leadership Podcast. We welcome your suggestions for leaders you would like to hear from in future episodes.